Hello friends, this is Head of School Ken Aldridge and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the 2023 Quaker Matters podcast, especially as we celebrate the school's 275th anniversary. In this episode, we hear from Louisa Terrell, class of 87, who currently serves as the director of the White House Office of Legislative Affairs. During this engaging conversation, you will hear Louisa's reflections on her time at Friends, most notably the importance of student voice, student agency, developing responsibility for ourselves, building self-confidence, and being prepared, also being confident while maintaining a sense of wonder, curiosity, and exploration. I hope you enjoy the conversation. The older you get and you watch your kids turn into like teenagers and young adults, you really have a sense of how short our time is. And uh, I think our why should be able to look back and say that we were part of something that was bigger than ourselves. And I look around and find, have been lucky enough to find different points. And it doesn't have to be your whole career or your whole life. Um, but I, my why is looking around and being and finding places where I was working on something that was just bigger than than me. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Quaker Matters podcast. On today's special episode, we are joined by Louisa Terrell, Wilmington Friends School class of 1987, and the current director of the White House Office of Legislative Affairs under President Joe Biden. Louisa, how are you today? Good morning, Jake. It's nice to uh, nice to see you and talk to you. Likewise, and I'm really excited to learn more about you and your journey and really all that you've accomplished in the political landscape throughout your professional career. To start, though, I do want to touch upon your time at Wilmington Friends School and ask you so that you can let our listeners know, when were you first introduced to Wilmington Friends School? I came to Friends School as a first grader, and I think I did the math okay. Um, it's I think it was 1976. So you're close to a Friends lifer, as we say. Um, I'm curious, as being removed from Wilmington Friends School since 1987, as that was the year you graduated, in what ways might you still feel connected to Wilmington Friends School today? I feel like my connection to Friends comes out in two ways, primarily. One way is I fully identify as being a Quaker. Um, My dad is Quaker, I have family connections, but it was really my time at Friends School that put this core, a piece about how I look at the world and how I relate to other people and my my connections to other people is really rooted in Quakerism. And, you know, I've lived in Washington, D.C. for almost two decades or even maybe longer. And there's a meeting house that, you know, that I go to. Um, my kids went to first day school at the meeting house. We've done involved in like various um, over the years, lots of different kind of community service and engagement in the meeting house. And it is it is just a, a key piece of who I am. And it's funny when I'm in meeting for worship there, even now, and I'm a very old lady now is there is something about the moment and the settling of it. And sometimes it's almost um, very textural, like the smell and the, uh, what I'm focusing on 
really reminds me. And it just, it is this deep kind of almost nostalgia of like where of first being um, sitting in silence in, at, at friend's school. So that's one piece. And I think the second piece is I think friend's school, maybe part of it is it being a Quaker school, but I also just think sort of the quality of the teachers and the kinds of ways that they approach education really made me think about interconnectivity all the time. And I know that, you know, we always talk about interdisciplinary studies and it's very much about how you kind of approach, particularly in a, in a college setting, about solving problems. And we talk about our own world problems in an interdisciplinary way. But for me, that was really something that started, again, way back when, about how friend school was always sort of making you tie connections in your work and how you um, were being a student. And even today in what I do every day, there's a part of that kind of understanding where the threads are and how you think about a problem and the threads really comes from the kinds of education that I think uh, Friends was very dedicated to from the from the outset. That's a perfect segue into my next question that I wanted to ask you. And with this interdisciplinary approach and the interconnectivity between your various courses, I guess I just want to know, was there one teacher, was there one coach that impacted you in a variety of ways that was really profound? I mean, it is um, hard to choose one, Jake. I'll be honest with you. There are so uh, so many different teachers and coaches throughout. I mean, I was there for a long time, and so we're influential at different parts in my life. One thing that really, a person that sticks out for me is Bill Neff. And I think I have my facts straight. Again, this was like back in the dark ages, so you'll forgive me if I... But what I remember so much about Bill Neff is I think he was teaching us like a anthropology and archaeology class it was anthropology. And it might have been like sixth or seventh grade. And it was this really memorable transition where you're a learner as like a first grader or begin or, you know, in, in lower school. And then you kind of come to middle school. And instead of kind of um, doing skill acquisition, you're just kind of learning something and making sure you have all those fundamentals and building blocks and you're regurgitating it back. I remember Bill, like Bill's class was the first moment that you're like, wow, this is like the big kid stuff. Like he's he's explaining things that are like complicated and was part of it was science and some of it was history and some of it was geology, not things that I'm particularly good at at all, quite frankly, but I have this for me, it was like this inflection point about how friends kind of almost fostered you and at just the right moment kind of got you tantalized by like just the hard stuff. And how do you do like learn this material, analyze it back? It was just there was a, a moment about how he treated you, too, as like a bigger kid that for me, I, I remember that as kind of the moment of turning the corner and thinking about myself as a student in a different way. And I cannot remember if I did well or poorly. It has sort of nothing to do with that. But there was um, the way that Mr. Neff kind of all of a sudden didn't see you as just a kid. And then and that really, I think, was the trajectory of that you as a student at Friends School, you are, you are an equal person at the table. You got to come and bring your arguments, bring your position, bring your feelings, bring your whole self. But that was a real, for me, was this marker in my mind as to kind of that that transition in, in middle school, which I think is, I mean, middle school is 
middle school's rough. It's hard. <laughs> um, and to have that as my, as my moment, um, will, will always be with me. Would you say that moment in Mr. Neff's classroom, sort of getting your invitation to the big kid academics, is that a moment that you look back to and think of as the most memorable moment during your time at Friends? Is there something else maybe competing in athletics? Like knowing that this is a lot because it's asking you to boil an experience from 1976 to 1987 to one moment. So I understand that that uh, that exercise might be a bit difficult. I mean, like I said, I, I, I it's hard for me to identify just one moment. Jake, I, I, I feel like you know, there were so many moments for me about connection and, and really joy, right? Like there was a lot of, uh, I think friend school brings an incredible amount of joy and it's a real privilege to be able to be in an educational environment. So there were things about, oh my gosh, I remember chorus and like, I'm a terrible singer and I'm forgetting our chorus singers teacher, but he really, we would listen to crazy rock albums. Like he loved the who and so we would listen to great rock music and I was an athlete and I loved being on, I remember being kind of like an, maybe I was a ninth grader or a 10th grader. And I was like on the field hockey team with like the seniors and the juniors and you felt so grown up and really learned how to be an athlete and seeing some of the dedication that, that, that is. And, um, so for me, there was just a wide array and writing for the paper and, you know, the literary journals and, there's just, to me, it's like almost like a mosaic of all these pieces. In what ways did your Wilmington Friends School education help prepare you for your career in politics? I think it helps inspire students to come to the conversation with some um, self-confidence. And I think that's really important. And I think I, I went to Tufts University. I went to law school. Um, I came to Capitol Hill. And I think, yes, there were moments, obviously, where you're, you're riddled with deep um, self-doubt and, and, you know, scared about something. But I do think that there's a kind of confidence that you, I gained from friend school, which is come to the table with your opinions, your ideas, make sure you're well-prepared and you, you got to do your homework. But then when you, you should feel um, ready to come to the table and kind of dig in. And I think when I look at, and I, I guess the other part of it that I would just say is, and this is part of, I think to me, rooted in some Quakerism pieces, but I'm of a big believer in about sort of being in public service, right? And and it's not every moment of my career has not been in public service. And I don't, um, but I think that being in public service is, it is about the we, not the I. And that doesn't mean that people who are not in public service are all about the I and the we. I think trying to make sort of dichotomies about that are are both sort of unfair and not accurate. But I do think that my enduring sort of both curiosity and enthusiasm for being in some in a sort of public um, policy and public service space that is certainly rooted in in a friend school education. I want to dive now into your impressive uh, career and all that you have accomplished. So your official title is the director of the White House Office of Legislative Affairs. How would you best describe your role? So my role is to help move the President Biden's agenda on Capitol Hill. 
And that can range from the president has nominated individuals to be um, leaders in agencies, and I need to make sure that they get Senate confirmed, or judges, federal judges, get them confirmed. It's his legislative agenda. We had a, we've spent two years moving really important legislation pieces about gun safety, about um, infrastructure improvements, about climate and energy, healthcare. And so my job is to go up to Capitol Hill with a team of awesome people and work with Democrats and Republicans alike and see what we can get passed. And then it's also, there are other things where you're just communicating with Congress about priorities the president has. Sometimes these can be executive actions that they're taking. What is the president's position on certain pieces? So it's it's also just the connective tissue between the White House and Congress. And then the flip side of my job is inside the White House, I have an amazing array of brilliant colleagues all who may have different ideas about possible legislation or work they would want to do with members of Congress. So we sort of, we listen to that and then we give them ideas about how to productively engage with um, members of Congress. And then my job is sort of, it's like a customer service uh, window in an old department store where members come to us all the time with things they want, things they want a secretary to come to their state or they have a constituent that is concerned about something and can we help them? So it's really to be a a bridge between that. What do you enjoy most about your work? Mm, That's such a good question. Um, I, I, look, I feel literally lucky every day I walk into the door. I mean, you can't, um, you have to take the time to remember how honored and privileged, it's a privilege of a lifetime. So there is that moment right where I feel that um, very lucky about it and lucky because I think, you know, President Biden is just a sort of extraordinary leader and to be part of a small part of a team that's moving things that I think are making things better for the country. I I definitely enjoy that. And then I am a big believer that, you know, our day-to-day work is driven by the people that we work with. And I feel, I love Uh, the people that I work with. They're funny, they're smart, they're kind. I learned something from them. And I feel very lucky to be in a job where not a day goes by where I don't learn something new. And to me, that is like the biggest sort of blessing and privilege in life is to be able to do work where you're continuing to learn. In 2001, you began working on the Senate staff of Joe Biden, Mm -hmm. President Biden. Um, if I asked you to go back those 22 years, could you have ever imagined where you are now? Was this always a goal of your, you know, when you're at Tufts or even at Friends, maybe like to work in politics? You know, I'm going to like share a tiny little secret, Jake. I kind of don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So uh, I don't. And um, so I could not have imagined that. I I feel like my career, I always, um, where I grew up on Brex Lane has a stream behind our house. And when we were kids, we would, you know, you're totally playing in the stream. And there were different portions of the stream where you would really try and ne- get your feet wet. You're just jumping from rock to rock and see, see how long you can make it um, with my brothers. And, and for me, that metaphor or that image is sort of how I see my career. I, I am just, Jumping from rock to rock. And each time I'm just assessing, like, you know, could I make a difference here? Is this the right fit? Is there people here that I enjoy? 
And I just keep trying to hop, keep my feet from getting wet from thing to thing. But I certainly couldn't have imagined um, when I came. And I will just say this, you know, I think you have to, I felt very, um, very inexperienced when I came to Capitol Hill. When I started working for then Senator Biden on the Judiciary Committee, it was super intimidating, Jake. These are people like everybody who was staffed there. They had all clerked for like Supreme Court justices, like knew all the ins and outs of like different appellate courtrooms and just knew so much. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I am way out of my, my league here. Like, I don't know, you know, it was, it was hard, right? And trying to just be be kind of brave and kind of faking it till you make it and um, really had to take that opportunity to, to just learn a lot and and not not be too intimidated by those very I mean, smart little How did you work through that? I you know, I think what you sort of described there would be or what I would call like imposter syndrome. Like I mean that I, I think that's like super brave and courageous to be able to work through all of that and be to where you're at now. So I'm just curious as to and and, and this can be for like current friend students too, who might be facing that, whether it's in your classes or on the athletics field. So I'm just curious as to how you you were able to work through that. When I look back on that time, Jake, there that some things, some strategies that I employed is part of it is I looked at the portfolio of work that I was doing on the Senate Judiciary Committee and said, I don't have to know everything. I'm going to really, I have, these are the things that I need to learn and to be a, be a sort of quote unquote expert on. And I dug into those. And I also kind of recognized, yes, there is this um, really sophisticated, uh, very intellectual, very textual understanding of the law. And there's a lot of people that know how to do this, but we're actually policymakers. And a big part of that is actually listening to the people on the ground and how you'd fix laws and what's wrong and how would we make this better how do you translate this and explain this to people who are not fancy lawyers? And so I sort of did work where I felt like, oh, that's actually something where I feel like I can do that. Like I get that part. And so really kind of, so I think you have to pick some things. Don't put yourself out there in a whole world where you can't find a, a place to connect yourself to. And so that really helped me. I mean, look, you need good friends. I will forever remember images. I'm like, I'm going to make myself feel really old. I think I had a cell phone. It might've been like a flip phone, at, like, but I have this memories of sometimes I would have to leave at lunch and you're up on Capitol Hill and there's, a, you know, you're in buildings and there's these sort of um, almost parks in front of them. And I can remember like calling my best friend being like, I, I just need to like vent, like I'm super scared. And you'd have to get these moments of like, all right take a deep breath. You're not going to cry. You're going to go back in there. And like, I needed those pep session. You have to have those um, where you can kind of vent it, leave it on the park and then go back in and, and keep trying to do that. And um, I think those were some of the pieces that, that, that helped, you know, make a jump. That was a big, that was a big stretch for me to be in that kind of environment. And now as a senior administrator on staff, is that part of the reason why you feel it's so important to give back and serve in a mentorship role to many folks that may be working for you? I do. I mean, I have to say, Jake, one of the things I never thought we would be, I really thought we were, my husband and I were going to come to Washington, D.C., like do this kind of fun job on the Judiciary Committee, and then we would go back. We had, we were living in outside Boston at the time. So I was like, oh, we're just going to go back to Boston. And um, 
of course, that is not how it all turned out. But um, one of the things I really, really like about DC is it's just full of super enthusiastic, engaged, thoughtful, like it's just a lot of people running around with a lot of good ideas. And I love working with people like that. And I, um, and whether it's mentoring, whether it's being just friends and being someone that someone can kind of off gas with sometimes, whether it's really being an ally, right? Like it's sort of easy to have coffees with people, but they're sort of the next phase of that. Like, what does that mean? How are you going to really be, a me- sometimes we take mentorship kind of like, sure, I'll talk to you. Like, sure, I'll, you know, do this. But I think you really have to say, you have to be prepared about what are really the active steps that you'd want to do um, to help people. Because I, I also have learned, you know, there by the grace of God, go I, we're all going to need people. No, no one's, you, you never know in your career where you're, where you could get um like someone's going to toss you a curveball and you're really going to need people and always remember that. And uh, whether you're at the top, the bottom, the middle, you're over in left field or right field, you're going to, you need to um, remember that we all kind of connected and, and, and have to help each other. You have moved over 200 bipartisan bills over the past two years. Is there a particular one that you are most proud of? I mean, I think it's really important that we did the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which was the gun bill. Um, And I am very, uh, it's a funny one that, you know, there, it's not because I can look back, Jake, and I can break down, you know, a two. Tuesday night when we were negotiating or a Thursday, you know, all day session, but it's to me to be, have been um, even a small part at that time, given all the entrenched sort of equities and hard political battles we have about guns to have been part of a place where we moved the dial. And there's still a lot of work to do in that area, but I, that was, I feel so I'm glad we we start we just kept moving on that bill and there again there's more to do but when I look around every day what you and I read and what we hear from people and have experience with about that that feels very gratifying and then you know probably more personally just you know we you know was not um the infrastructure bill was just a real it was a really gratifying that is kind of like when you're in a room and you've got you know a handful of Republicans and Democrats, and you're really hashing out language. And um, that's a very, they're both fun and very gratifying. You were lifelong friends with President Biden's late son, Bo, dating back to kindergarten. Knowing the president for so long, knowing him on a different level than most, how does that help you in your current work? I, you know, honestly, I think it just, it kind of doesn't make you as nervous. Honestly, like you can have moments where you're talking about really high stake things, like you're in the Oval Office and, you know, you're surrounded by my colleagues who, again, are brilliant. And I, I think you are very conscious that you're talking to the president of the United States and the kind of respect and the way you have to have your, you know, you got to be on your game and you've got to be really well prepared. But there's also just um, a moment there where I can feel like a little less nervous because like there are things that I'll say or mannerisms like they've just like been around I've been around them um for my life and and so sort of gives you a little like you go you're not totally sweating I I watched the most recent CNN interview uh when you mentioned that like you you often ask yourself 
what Woodbo do. And so I'm just curious as to how can his impact be felt on the work that you're doing from a day-to-day standpoint? Yeah, I feel like Bo and the president um, have have this enduring quality that you have to really be straight with people. Like, don't try and do tricks. Don't try and sneak something through the back door. They, you know, don't don't hedge. There's a clarity of the position that the president's taking. There's clarity, like when you talk to members of Congress, there's something about how Bo and I think, and obviously from his dad, have a way of like, your word is the most important thing you have. And to act with integrity, to agree to disagree, um, to be straight with someone and not um, play games, like that to me is very much a big driver of how I do um, the president's business on Capitol Hill, how our whole team kind of um, has an ethos and how they, how we all deal with members. And so I think it does, it sort of sets your operating procedure in some ways that I think is a very important level set because you're sort of in Washington, DC, you know, there's sort of like the inside the beltway and, you know, everyone's kind of got something up their sleeve. And I, that's not how the pro- president ever operated as when he was a Senator and I worked for him. And I think people understood that he could be always trusted in that way. And I feel like that was, you know, Bo that I know knew as a kid or um, was just like always going to tell you what he thought. And I think that is a that continues today in the, in the work that we do. Has that clarity helped you effectively navigate our deeply divided political landscape and really also just help make you so successful in your career? I do think that the way the president has sort of set the debate and been very clear about his position I think that has set up our team that when we're going and doing the nuts and bolts in the day-to-day work, I think it makes a big difference. And I think that part of this in these times, uh, you have to really trust people. And I think that the members on the other aisle, across the aisle in particular, I think trust President Biden and therefore trust Mm -hmm. his team around him. And that when we're doing, again, some of that legwork, on these initiatives, I think that makes a big difference. How about your own success? I, I guess I, I, you know, whether it's a success or a failure, or just I think I've gotten um, to a place where I'm very comfortable with who I am, and I'm really comfortable with, you know, um, how I present what the what the issues are in my interactions, and I think it is really important to be uh, a trusted voice, and I, and I think that that has manifest itself in in some of my back and forth with members. What's one piece of advice you might give to a Wilmington Friends School student who is interested in pursuing a career in public service? I think that um, it's there's really a ton of opportunity. And I think sometimes people think that politics just or 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 um, policy just happen in Um, Washington, D.C. And what I have seen across the country are really exciting opportunities in city halls. And, and, you know, I I, like interned for a mayor when I was in college and like I loved um, doing that work and spending a Tuesday night watching like contentious long city council meetings as they debated different pieces. So for for young people interested in that, I would say don't like really look around you 
really good stuff is happening at the state and local level. And those fights are really important to be part of. So I would say definitely don't just think you have to come be an, you know, an intern in your senator's office. I really, I would encourage people to look there. Um, I also think uh, being involved, even if you want to get a taste of campaigning is fun. I am like a campaign person. Like I don't, I don't crunch the data. What I have always liked doing is like, you know, sign me up door to door and going and just like listening to people. And I think that helps to always keep in context this idea that people's lives are busy. And because I spend 24 seven thinking about policy and politics, like normal people do not. So uh, you need to kind of remember that piece. But I think being parts of campaigns are really fun. And sometimes they can be short lived and it gives you a good taste. And then I think lastly, I, um, I think it is really exciting and real and meaningful that there is a kind of a youth and a young people authentic movements and advocacy organization that is being run by young people that is the the agenda is being set by young people that are are um very cool and uh, and dial moving and so that is another place like being part of that and sort of figuring out what parts of that interest you is a is a great is a great thing and and lastly I think I would just say this, Jake, and maybe this is, again, me being a very old lady. I think there's pressure sometimes to find your passion. And I I think that is a a wonderful thing. And I agree that when people find their passion, they can succeed so much and they can be in the flow and in the moment. And there's real coherence and and, um, almost like a peacefulness about that, the work that you're doing, because you're kind of in that passion place. That's amazing. I see so many people who are who have found that, whether they're my age or they're 21. Um, but I'm also here to tell you, like, it's okay to not have found like the one thing that is your passion project. And you can, again, kind of uh, move from rock to rock and have different passion moments and passion people and passion places. And it just doesn't have to be an enduring, um, perfect passion mission, because I think that sometimes is hard and it doesn't, you know, you learn so much as you kind of go through the journey and don't be, don't be worried if you don't have your passion. Really appreciate you sharing that. And and certainly think that advice applies for, for both young and old professionals. Um, I want to end the podcast with our ring the bell segment, same two questions that we ask each guest. And my first question is, what do you want your legacy to be? Or another way to really frame this, I guess, for you is what do you hope the people that work with you, work for you, what do you hope they say about you after their time spent with you? I want people to say that I was kind, that I knew how to find and recruit and keep and inspire really smart people. I want, I always want to be surrounded with people that are way smarter than I am and not to feel insecure about that or threatened by that, but in fact, feel the opposite, that it makes me a better leader, a better workmate to have people around that are smarter and better than me. And I want people to think that I was funny um, and that I was kind and that I, I cared about the outcome way more than I cared about process, credit, being in the room or not in the room, but that I cared about the result. And my last question for you, what's your why? What is my why? Um, I, I mean, this is just going to get super 
like mushy on you, Jake, is that uh, the older you get and you watch your kids turn into like teenagers and young adults, you really have a sense of how short our time is. And uh, I think our why should be able to look back and say that we were part of something that was bigger than ourselves. And I look around and find, have been lucky enough to find different points. And it doesn't have to be your whole career or your whole life. Um, but I, my why is looking around and being and finding places where I was working on something that was just bigger than than me. That's why that's sort of, sort of why um, public service and why I feel so lucky to be doing the work that I'm doing today. 